0: Let's pray, Lord God, as we look into your word today, Lord, we ask your help, help uh, from your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, to help me to speak and to help us to understand, Lord, what you are saying to us through your scripture. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as Christians, we don't like to look at evil things at abuses, abominations, violence, at least we shouldn't. With God's grace put in our hearts, we've turned from sin and now we turn our eyes from such things in disgust. Even though video games, television and films are full of violence and all kinds of sin desensitizing the masses to it, we don't wanna go there even in our imaginations, God having put his Holy Spirit in our hearts. But every once in a while we do see things inadvertently that deeply disturb us, and rightly so. And sometimes it happens because God wants it to happen. Sometimes he wants us to see what he sees, the appalling ugliness of sin but only so much as we can bear so as not to be crushed by its weight why does he want that so that our hearts might be moved deeply to intercede to for the world that we live in that things might change by god's grace and that our lord would soon return and rule God wants us to be moved to be more effective in our prayers and in our witness as we walk this earth. Ezekiel was one of God's prophets in the Old Testament, and he was taken captive to Babylon along with 10,000 of his people from Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, while some others had been left in the city of Jerusalem to keep it going and to pay tribute to Babylon. Ezekiel had been a faithful prophet of God, already speaking God's words to his people. But God wanted to show him more and to make his ministry more personal. God wanted Ezekiel to see what he saw, to feel what he felt. He wanted to give him a true sense of the reality of the sin of his people and to show him the why of divine judgment that would help him convey a sense of urgency along with the message that God had him proclaim. And I suppose that's what God wants for his people today, still. It is best if the understanding of the reality of sin is preceded by a vision of God on his throne in his glory. Otherwise, it would be too despairing for God's people to even see and bear. And that happened with Ezekiel. He had a vision of God in his glory that made all the material things around him pale that kind of thing doesn't happen to carnal christians who are spending most of their time pursuing this world and material things but it happens to those who are actively pursuing god and pursuing eternal things for ezekiel and the captives with him any material pursuits had abruptly come to an end in exile, in captivity. They were now serving another kingdom far away from their home. And perhaps we can't relate very well to that aspect, still living comfortably in a prosperous nation. But maybe we can, as our physical bodies grow older and older, and we see how quickly things in this material world fade and wear out. You know, that should lead us to consider the eternal more often. And unfortunately, most don't. Many instead become bitter and hardened. They turn to other distractions rather than to face the reality of physical death. The psalmist said, Lord, let me know my end and the number of my days that I may learn how short my life is. He said, everyone living is but a breath. Truly, my hope is in you, speaking to the Lord in Psalm 39, five to eight. The apostle Peter, after the Lord revealed to him that his time was near, made the best of it, and he recorded godly instructions for posterity. For Ezekiel, God's glory was first revealed to him while by a river in captivity. And he soon became open to God's word anytime and anywhere. Ezekiel along with the prophet Daniel was God's man for this time and he had incredible visions of God in his glory. He obeyed God's instructions, spoke and acted out God's word as as led by God often at great cost to himself. And God as recorded in chapter 8 of Ezekiel revealed the sin of his people very acutely to Ezekiel, and that sin Ezekiel would have not seen otherwise. And I want to read again part of Ezekiel 8, beginning at verse 4. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel was there, like the vision that I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, lift your eyes now toward the north. So I lifted my eyes toward the north, and there, north of the altar gate, there was this image of jealousy in the entrance. Furthermore, he said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations that the house of Israel commits here to make me go far away from my sanctuary. What had happened here was Ezekiel was raptured back to the temple in Jerusalem to see what was going on, to see what had caused God's presence to leave it. The word describing what was in the entrance of the temple at the altar gate is described in different ways by different translations of the Bible, translated sometimes as jealousy, envy, or the purchaser, purchaser. The exact meaning is ambiguous to modern translators, but whatever it is, these words seem together to sum up covetousness and greed. Perhaps worshipers were being charged an entrance fee or being forced to acknowledge a foreign God upon entrance to worship. Whatever it was, it was sinful and it aroused the true God's jealousy and anger. Covetousness is the spirit behind materialism. And materialism is something that our nation, the people of our nation struggle deeply with. I mean they embrace materialism to the extent that it turns them away from God. And God asked Ezekiel, do you see what they are doing? And he went on and said, now turn again and you will see greater abominations. So he brought me to the door of the court and when I looked, there was a hole in the wall. Then he said to me, son of man, dig into the wall. And when I dug into the wall, there was a door. And he said to me, go in and see the wicked abominations that they are doing there. So I went in and saw, and there was every sort of creeping thing, abominable beasts and all idols of the house of Israel, portrayed all around on the walls. And there stood before them 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel, and in their midst stood Jeazaniah, the son of Shaphan. Each man had a censer, in his hand, and a thick cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel do in the dark? Every man in the room of his idols? The elders, the governors of the people, still in Jerusalem, were all secretly worshiping idols. All doing things that probably couldn't even be mentioned here. And saying, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. Well, that was simply not true. The Lord sees everything. And though he had abandoned his sanctuary because of their sin, God's presence was obviously still with his people, his people like Ezekiel and Daniel, those uh, who had been deported, but those who were still faithful to God. With Israel being overthrown, these newly appointed leaders looked at it as not as God's discipline, but as God forsaking them forever. and now they were desperately turning to all. Sorts of idols, really demons, instead of turning back to God for help. They did not believe in God's mercy. They didn't believe his mercy could reach them any longer. And that's a sad line that many people still cross today. They sin Mm. and they sin and they sin to the point that they do not believe that God could have mercy on them verse 13. And then he said to me, turn again and you will see a greater abomination. You will see greater abominations that they are doing. So he brought me to the door of the north gate of the Lord's house. And to my dismay, women were sitting there weeping for Tabmaz, a false fertility god that was said to be dead. So instead of weeping for the presence of of their true God to return. These women wept for a dead false God. And Ezekiel, he may not have had very much hope for Israel's leaders, the ones who were put in place by the Babylonians, but he probably did have hopes for the common people. He probably hoped for better from the common women of Israel, especially. But to his dismay, their hearts were also turned away from God to dead idols. Verse 15, and then he said to me, have you seen this, O son of man? Turn again, and you will see greater abominations than these. And so he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and there at the door of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs Toward the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, and they were worshiping the sun toward the east. So these were worshiping creation rather than the Creator. Their backs were turned away from God and away from His temple in order to worship the sun instead. Well, creation worship is on the rise today. The earth and the environment, not the God behind them, are regarded as the provider. Saving the earth is a competitor with materialism and other forms of idol worship today. And if we were doing it as good stewards of God's creation, of God's earth, that would be fine. But that's not what's happening. And we think it's actually in our hands to save Blessed earth and humanity, and that we have even the capability, perhaps within ourselves, to do so. No, we need God. Verse 17 And he said to me, Have you seen this, O Son of Man? Is it a trivial thing to the house of Judah to commit abominations which they commit here? That is right there in his temple. For they have filled the land with violence and they have returned to provoke me to anger. So it was them, it was um, their fault that the land had been filled with violence, that the Babylonians had had come. And yet they still provoked God to anger. Well, in this vision, God caused His prophet Ezekiel to see the idolatry of His people in Jerusalem that continued on after, even after they had already, um, after God had already allowed judgment to begin. There, His judgment didn't seem to faze them. His judgment did not cause His people to repent and to turn to Him. They simply turn to other things and other gods to pacify them and and to hopefully get them through. Well, if you know the end of the story, you know that didn't work. When bad things begin to happen and people do not humble themselves and turn to God in repentance and for help, then worse things happen. We must beware. Without God's intervention, without his sending messengers to warn them and, and that they have seen nothing yet, and without his intercessors to pray for them, people are doomed when they turn away from God. But for that to happen, for God's people to warn others and to intercede for those around them, of God's impending judgment, God's people have to see and understand the why first. God's people have to be exposed sometimes to the depths of sin, the sin of our own people. Ezekiel was in a foreign land with no communication to his homeland. God had to bring him there, God had to reveal it to him in a vision, not so with us. Sin is all around us and we can see it, but we often choose to look away. We choose to close our eyes to it, not to be overwhelmed by it. You know, when Maria came many years ago as a missionary with OM to North America, Her little group of women missionaries were sent to the streets of Montreal at night to work with what most of us don't want to see. She was sent to work with the prostitutes, male and female, with the drug addicts, the pushers, the pimps, the filth and the grime, and it was overwhelming. She and many of her colleagues were soon burnt out. Why? Well, because their vision of God was too small and there were so few victories and so many losses that they just couldn't take it. Like with the prophet, it was not their job or in their power to bring the victory, just to warn those who they worked with and to pray for them and to beg them to turn to Jesus Christ but few did. And 30 years on with the current opioid crisis, things are far worse. Now, you know, almost a quarter of the number of deaths that we've already seen um, from the aged from COVID-19 happen with younger folks from drug overdoses here in Canada. 4,000 overdose deaths in Canada in 2019, and the 2020 stats when they come in will likely be far, far worse. But you know what? We don't see that. And we are not likely to be affected by it personally. Our news doesn't even cover it nearly as much as they do the COVID crisis. They only cover it when they well, when the same people who advocate to outlaw guns, which play a role in about a thousand deaths yearly, advocate for safe places for youth to shoot up and, and for the decriminalization of these drugs. They want to make a national safe, a national safe supply along with these safe places and perhaps who knows our government may take over what was formerly formerly a, a, an illegal drug market to to make profit as they did with marijuana if you notice they they kept the newly created weed market opened as essential here during covid but of course that's a side issue getting back to our main topic as christians we like to stay focused rather on on the good that God has done for us, and what he's going to do in the future, on who he is, and all those good things, and heaven. But the reality is that what God did for us is for a purpose that is not only eternal, but for the here and now as well. Oswald Chambers wrote, The attitude of the average Christian says, Don't ask me to come into the rugged reality of redemption on behalf of the filth of human life as it is, what I want is anything God can do for me. Well that doesn't work in God's kingdom. In this world we must carry a cross. We are here to fight for the lost and to warn them and to pray for them until Jesus returns to judge and to rule but you know we'd rather not look. And we try not to until such a time that a horrid evil comes to a place near us and to people much like us. You know that happened to me quite recently. While I was preparing to dig out from the last snowstorm a few weeks ago, a tragedy was unfolding in a quiet suburban neighborhood south of the border. Neighbors in Pennsylvania were angrily disputing over shoveled snow from the same storm. Within a half hour, it was all settled. The people involved all lie dead, two in the street, one later on in his home, all of fatal gunshot wounds. An article about the tragedy caught my eye the next morning as I took a break from my shoveling. I read about the caustic foul words that were being spewed out loudly in that normally quiet middle-class suburb The words that finally were silenced by a flurry of bullets, zero to three, nobody won. None of the victims will ever see another sunrise, none none of them will see any family members who love them. And for what? For nothing at all. This time it was not a PTSD police officer responding to another night call in the hood. This was white working class middle America at 9 a.m. in the morning. Two of the victims in their forties and 50 were cleaning their cars in their driveway ahead of a typical day at work. The one who ended up getting his gun on the other side of the street and shooting was not who you'd expect. No police record. In fact, a graduate degree. He was a career engineer who had trained and served successfully for years in the reserves before his current job. He was likely a hunter But he also ran marathons in his spare time. So what did it take to set him off? Some snow put purposely and spitefully in his driveway by his neighbors across the street right in front of him and his telling them not to do so, being met with a barrage of caustic verbal abuse and motioned gestures of violence meant to intimidate him. The many, many offensive demeaning remarks and threats that the couple made toward the man, he obviously took seriously. Among other things, they told him that they were gonna make his life a living hell. Bullying for sure, but murder as a response followed by his own suicide? One psychologist later speculated that he was probably depressed and had likely considered suicide before this, and this may have offered him an opportunity to do so with more meaning. Really? Either that or what the couple said simply pushed him over the edge to uncontrollable anger. Well, I saw there was a video below the article and I supposed that it only documented the argument that led up to the murder. But I was wrong. There was more. In fact, there was everything. All of it. I shut it off after the first shots were fired because I had already Red had it how it ended and I didn't need to watch it and I don't like watching even wild animals get killed by other wild animals. I certainly do not want to watch humans killing humans their own kind and not even in war. Many things shocked me. The obscenities that continued being shouted out at the shooter by one of the victims already down and severely wounded, without crying out for mercy to God or to the shooter even. But what shocked me the most were the many comments underneath the video by others. Written obscenities toward one another in reaction to each other's comments. The same caustic insults as were seen in the video above f-words and worse all over the place toward one another no lamenting no repenting no crying out to God in repentance or forgiveness or for mercy on the nation no prayers nothing I was very disturbed and of course if no one believed in God There would be no reason for any of that. But this was America. What is the miserable end for those people who made those comments? I'm afraid I witnessed it already in the video. It's the same end if there's no peacemaker. It's the same end if no one acts to intervene and humbly de-escalates situations like this, even at a cost to themselves, especially over useless vanity. The only one that ever wins is the devil. The devil always wins in these situations and he gleefully grins while humanity loses. there are we believe good and bad people in this world most of the bad that i encounter are in cars for some reason they are they're simply angry and taking out their anger on anyone who who, who offends them innocently or or not and and they are the ones who who want to teach you a lesson when you make a driving mistake as if they never could or have themselves i once watched someone make a mistake of merging onto an interstate too slowly, being dangerously harassed by the angry driver that he had slowed down for two whole exits until he was literally driven off the road by him. Well, the bed are also in our friendly neighborhoods. Once coming out of my cousin's driveway, in the morning I checked the, the country road a second time before entering it and I had to jam on my brake hard to yield to the speeding car that came flying by and to my surprise I was quickly greeted with an unfriendly finger by the driver some way to start my day well sometimes these people are even in the church once I was helping out a Catholic school on a Saturday, holding a parking spot for for a truck with plants for their plant sale fundraiser that was backing in, when a family who was late for Mass pulled in to park there. Well, I apologized, explaining the situation very nicely as to why they had to park someplace else, but I was angrily met by repeated curses from the dad and i will never forget the scene of his young son begging him to calm down and to stop swearing angrily at me as they were entering the church door for mass well what's with that what's with all the anger what's with all the abuse what's with all the f-words you know our countries have done a great job trying to eliminate the n-word. Well, how about the f-word? What does it mean? It means rape, violent rape. It offends me and should offend everyone. Yet sometimes I think it may be the most spoken word in the whole country. Do we ever listen to ourselves? That's what comes out every time someone gets angry and people get angry often. But all we do is make funny commercials about that. Don't we know abusive language also does violence? When when will we understand that? But then, isn't violence what many people like? Why is violence so popular on TV and in video games? What's wrong with us as a people? Why do we have so much anger? And why are we so quick to express it? Who are we as a people, really? And what are we doing about it? Well, as far as I see it, everyone is simply blaming someone else and trying to make their own world uh, safe and secure, not by making peace, but by defending themselves or going on the offensive. What's our end? What is it going to take to, to break that cycle? I don't know, it seems to me like the same thing as we saw in America. Is it gonna take a common enemy to get our minds off abusing one another? I certainly hope not. I wanna live among a peaceful people. But please understand that people are not peaceful and good in general when the majority of them have turned their backs on God. You know what it is? It is hopelessness and stress. In one of the world's wealthiest nations, it is fear and it is anxiety that is doing this. Fear and anxiety over what? You know, we older Christians must wake up to the fact that North America, be it it the U.S. or Canada, is no longer the place we grew up. It is no longer generally good and fair. It is bad and it is going to get worse. It is the hopelessness and stress The fear and anxiety, again over what? Put simply, it's from rejecting God, even if we don't realize it. We are cursed unless we turn back to God. We will fear where there is no fear as Psalm 53 says, well what can we do as Christians, as God's wrath is poured out, I read from Ezekiel 9 of the unseen world in relation to the one that we live in. Then he called out in my hearing with a loud voice saying "Let those who have charge of the city draw near each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate, which faces north each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of the God of Israel had gone up from the cherub where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side, and the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of those who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. What can we do? We can sigh and cry lamenting our situation as a people and make sure that our own hearts are right before God. We can humble ourselves today and be sure that we too are grieved like God is over all the abominations that people in our nation are committing. Let's humbly lament, let's warn, let's pray when God lets us see the sin instead of simply criticizing. Let's intercede for our nation. We have the good news of God's mercy for an otherwise hopeless people. Let's use this Lent wisely Let's pray. Lord God, Lord, we see over and over and over in your scripture what happened to a people who turned away from you. Lord, and as we see, Lord, in our very generation how our country has turned away from you. And as we see judgment happening, and it having no effect, help it to affect us, Lord. Help our hearts to mourn, Lord. Help us to lament. Help us to seek you and repent. Help us, Lord, to cry out for our families, for our friends, for our enemies, Lord, who, who are full of anger Help us, Lord, not to yield to anger ourselves for a minute, but to know it's from the evil one. Help us know, Lord, that peace is from you and that we don't have to worry about anything if we put our trust in you. And Lord, help us to share that message with those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.